This is the Daily Classic for Monday the 19th of February 2024. Beowulf. Trigger warning. If you're American, you may need to lie down while listening to this episode. We're going old. Very, very old. So old, America wasn't there when this epic was spoken around fires and longhouses by men who'd memorised the 3,182 lines of this epic by heart. The words were spoken in Old English, so they have to be translated for modern ears. The age, origins and translations of Beowulf have been good for many an academic fight, but let's not indulge in them. Beowulf was invented, I can't say it was written, I suspect it was initially passed down through an oral tradition, one poet teaching his son, protégé, the epic by way of an apprenticeship, in what we now call England in the 6th, 7th or 11th centuries, depending on whom you read. It's an epic poem about a hero who's asked to help a Swedish tribe assailed by a man-eating monster, Grendel, who lives in a swamp with his mother. Hmm. Beowulf, as any good hero should, answers the call to action, and this night he lies feigning sleep in the hall at Heorot, the hall that Grendel had been pillaging. None of Heorot's warriors, heroes all, had been able to best the monster Grendel. But this fateful night, well, we shall see. Grendel strikes. In off the moors. Down through the mist bands, God-cursed Grendel came greedily loping. The bane of the race of man roamed forth, hunting for prey in the high hall. Under the cloud murk, he moved towards it until it shone above him, a sheer keep of fortified gold. Nor was that the first time he had scouted the grounds of Hrothgar's dwelling. Although never in life before or since did he find harder fortune or hall defenders, spurned and joyless, he journeyed on ahead until he arrived at the bourne. The iron brace door turned on its hinge when his hands touched it. Then his rage boiled open. He ripped open the mouth of the building, maddening for blood, pacing the length of the patent floor with his loathsome tread, while a baleful light, flame more than light, flared from his eyes. He saw many men in the mansion, sleeping, a ranked company of kinsmen and warriors quartered together, and his glee was demonic. Picturing the mayhem before morning, he would rip life from limb and devour them, feed on their flesh, but his fate that night was due to change his days of ravening had come to an end. Mighty and canny Hygelac's kinsman was keenly watching for the first move the monster might make. Nor did the creature keep him waiting. He struck suddenly and started in. He grabbed and mauled a man on his bench, bit into his bone lappings, bolted down his blood and gorged on him in lumps, leaving the body utterly lifeless, eaten up hand and foot. Venturing closer, his talon was raised to strike Beowulf where he lay on the bed. He was bearing him with an open claw when the alert heroes come back and armlock forestalled him utterly. The captain of evil discovered himself in a hand grip harder than anything he'd ever encountered in any man on the face of the earth. Every bone in his body quailed and recoiled, but he could not escape. He was desperate to flee to his den and hide with the devil's litter, for in all his days he'd never been clamped and cornered like this then. Hygelac's trusty retainer recalled his bedtime speech, sprang to his feet and got a firm hold. Fingers were bursting, the monster backtracking, the man overpowering, the dread of the land was desperate to escape, to take a roundabout road and flee back to his lair in the fens. The latching power in his fingers weakened. It was the worst trip the terror had ever taken to Heorot, and now the timbers trembled and sang, a whole session that harrowed every day inside the stockade, stumbling in fury. The two contenders crashed through the building, the hall clattered and hammered, 
but somehow survived the onslaught and kept standing. It was handsomely structured, a sturdy frame, braced with the best of blacksmith's work inside and out. The story goes as the pair struggled. Mead benches were smashed and sprung off the floor, gold fittings and all. Before them, no shielding elder would believe that there was any power or person on the earth capable of wrecking their horn-rigged hall, unless the burning embrace of fire engulf it in flame. Then an extraordinary wail arose, a bewildering fear came over the Danes. Everyone felt it, who heard the cries, it echoed off the wall, a God-cursed scream and strain of catastrophe. The howl of the loser, the lament of the hell-surf, keening his wound, he was overwhelmed, manacled tight by the man who, of all men, was foremost and strongest in the days of his life. But the old troop's leader was not inclined to allow his caller to depart alive. He did not consider the life of much account to anyone anywhere. Time and again Beowulf's warriors worked to defend their lord's life, laying about them as best they could with ancestral blades. Stalwart in action, they kept striking out on every side, seeking to cut straight to the soul. But when they joined the struggle, there was something they could not have known at the time, that no blade on earth, no blacksmith's art could ever damage their demon opponent. He had conjured the harm from the cutting edge of every weapon, but his going away out of this world and the days of his life would be agony to him and his alien spirit would travel far into the fiend's keeping. Then he who had harrowed the hearts of men with pain and affliction in former times and had given offence to God found his bodily powers failed him. Hygelac's kinsman kept him helplessly locked in a hand grip. As long as either lived, he was hateful to the other. The monster's whole body was in pain. A tremendous wound appeared on his shoulder. Sinews split and bone lappings burst. Beowulf was granted the glory of winning. Grendel was driven under the fen banks, fatally hurt to his desolate lair. His days were numbered. The end of his life was coming to him. He knew it for certain. And one bloody clash had fulfilled the dearest wishes of the Danes. The man who had lately landed among them, proud and sure, had purged the hall, kept it from harm. He was happy with his night work, and the courage had shown. The Geat captain had boldly fulfilled his boast to the Danes. He had healed and relieved a huge distress, unremitting humiliations. The hard fate they had been forced to undergo, no small affliction. Clear proof of this could be seen in the hand the hero displayed high upon the roof, the whole of Grendel's shoulder and arm, his awesome grasp. Beowulf is one of the foundational texts of English literature. There's a local legend that the eponymous hero Beowulf is buried on a clifftop within sight of the house where this podcast is recorded. The text says otherwise. After his death following a battle with a dragon, now that's something to have on your death certificate, Beowulf was cremated on a pyre, hung around with helmets, heavy war shields and shining armour somewhere in southern Sweden. Before we go, let's have a word about the opening of Beowulf. Huets! When J.R.R. Tolkien, you might have heard of him, the author of The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, etc., started his lectures about Beowulf, he would walk into the lecture theatre and quiet the students by shouting, Wet! The first words of Beowulf. That's Old English for listen, attend, pin your lugs back. But as Seamus Heaney argues in his 1999 translation, it could also be translated from the Old English as so. Popular way to start a sentence these days. So, this is a Value for Value podcast. Beowulf tore Grendel's bone lappets so that we could podcast in freedom. If you get value from this rendering of an Old English poem, then send it back to us in the value trinity of time, talent or treasure. I'm at Radio Pete for PayPal, advice and criticism. And now go get a new podcast app at podcastindex.org. You know you want to. 
Beowulf would like new podcast apps now, rise like Grendel from his fen, and come back on Tuesday for another daily classic.